This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M for links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, Jean-Pierre begins his story at age two when his father left his family. His mother and grandmother raised him. His grandmother was an abusive person who abused him physically, spiritually, and mentally. As he reached adulthood, he finally moved out and even worked for Disney Corporation for 10 years before quitting that job and focusing on his artistic career. Today he is a well-adjusted individual who is an actor, rapper, comedian, impressionist, DJ, and a paranormal investigator. Here is Jean-Pierre's story. Hi, my name is Jean-Pierre Gignoli. I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. and. Uh, to start my story, I have to start a little recently and go back a little bit because it's uh, everything kind of took place recently, but also throughout my life. So um, the end of last year, I had a very big realization uh, in my life, and that was that I was uh, severely abused growing up mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, a lot of ways. And having come to terms with that just made me realize so much about my life, what I was doing, what I wasn't doing. Uh, a lot of the fears, a lot of the insecurities, a lot of the, whether it be self-esteem or confidence, lack thereof. Uh, my brother got a, a girlfriend, and she's a very blunt person. So she very bluntly told us, and she used very descriptive words. She's a writer and a poet, so I think that's why she used the word she did describing the abuse she saw from my family. And it it just hit home. It hit. It was It was visceral. It was like a gut punch. But it was one that me and my younger brother both needed because of the abuse we had had suffered and it was so programmed it was normal to us. And in that, I had to go all the way back to my childhood because uh, my dad left when I was two years old. And my grandmother, who's the main abuser with my mother being an enabler to the abuse, um, uh, she, she created this image of my father leaving us in the street and being such a horrible person, essentially you know, spoke of him as the devil. And I look just like him, so I think the abuse on myself was much more severe because of the fact that I looked like my father and she hated him so much. Um, so basically throughout my life, I was told everything I ever did was wrong. Any passions, dreams, uh, ambitions I had, um, you know, were just wrong and I couldn't do anything right. And no work and no accomplishment was ever enough uh, to my grandmother. And it, it was it was this cycle and it was this 
really we were lied to into believing the world was a certain way by our abuser and that that affected how we viewed the world how we were really isolated too. our abuser isolated us from the entire world pretty much and being different i was born in long beach california uh there was a lot of latinos and you know mixed cultures in our neighborhood and us being italian jean-pierre gignoli being my name uh we were bullied in school i was picked on by teachers to top it off too um and administrators uh so you know we already felt very alienated and bullied it, at school and our abuser was able to even further this by saying see you can't trust anybody but your family the world's a bad place everybody's bad and that just made us even more kind of isolated from the whole world so it was weird getting it from all sides you know we were abused at home sometimes just verbally to believe certain things but my grandmother was very much a dictator she was raised under Mussolini in Italy and actually said she believed that people under control were better so uh, that tell if that tells you anything i'm sure it tells you a lot of her her mindset and mentality and why she was the way she was with us still for me looking at it now i'm just i'm in disbelief because i don't know how you could do that to your own family when you say you supposedly love them but you mistreat them um so we're very little it was just very strict a lot of rules a lot of work uh very little socialization uh, my family had very few friends outside of a few certain people they chose to be with or be around and uh yeah it was it was definitely difficult to be social and i became more of an introvert because of the bullying and stuff like that at school so that's kind of a quick overview of it but i mean it's 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 much more deep than that uh and it goes really far down and that's what i realized uh, at the end of 2019 when i faced it all and uh, it was funny cuz when i was dating my wife she had said like oh hey you know like your family's kind of abusive like the way they treat you isn't right and i was like oh you know it's just my family that's how they are that's it. yeah it was it was literally so normal and so programmed into us that we couldn't even see it and it's funny because you know i went to school i studied psychology different things and even with all that when you're raised a certain way and to believe certain things you can't see it like it's almost like you have tunnel vision because because the way you're brought up and the things that you're taught So I also found that very intriguing as an adult and someone who faced the abuse is that how could I not see it I was going through it my whole life but I guess it's just normal when you're raised in that situation. Uh so you know growing up uh I felt like when I was very young and very little my grandmother gave me a lot of freedom she treated me like a little adult and I appreciated that I think cuz just I have a certain personality type that that thrives on kind of doing things on my own and feeling kind of independent. The strange thing in that sort in that situation is that my grandmother the older I got the more uh, authoritarian she got the more restrictive she got I don't like you being out late I don't like you doing this I don't like you doing that and, and it was it was it became very controlling the older I got whereas when I was little it didn't feel it was as controlling but then again I was also very uh you know I listened to what she said I followed her rules and this and that I think the the turning point for me and when the abuse got very bad was uh junior high I started having real friends my own age because uh, I spent most of my young real childhood life around adults not only that my father left when I was very young and my grandmother appointed me the man of the house at like a very young age so I feel like I really did lose a lot of innocence because being the man of the house she made it clear that I had all the responsibility I had to protect my mom because my mom didn't make the best decisions and he wasn't the smartest person. I had a younger brother who was an infant at the time. 
I had to look out for him. And then I had to also be the man of the house. And that really put a lot on me. And she really drove home that work, work, work is all you're supposed to do in life. And there's nothing else to life but working and surviving and making sure you have stuff. So you, essentially the way she presented it, the way she acted and held herself was like having material things or being well off in some way makes you better than other people. And I that always rubbed me the wrong way. Even as a child, like I never liked that mentality. Like I, as human beings, like I really feel like we're all connected and, you know, we can all be there for each other, learn from each other, all kinds of really uh, important, cool things, at least in my mind. And in her mind, it was, I feel like I'm better than everybody else. And she always built herself up. You could never talk bad about her. And if you did, you were punished, you know, like most kids, if they're punished, they, they cussed, right? And maybe they got soap in the mouth, Tabasco sauce, things like that were done in my household, but they weren't done because we were cussing. They were done because we disobeyed her or because we said no to her first the simplest things so like you know we really learned to associate saying no with punishment and that there was some consequence for having an original thought or expressing yourself that's one of the biggest things i came to terms with was that i never was allowed to express myself in in my home growing up my father left when i was two i always kind of felt i don't know if it was necessarily abandonment but i, I definitely felt like i was missing something because I saw other kids with like whole families and and people would go, well, how come your dad never picks you up? You know, and you don't have an answer for that or you feel bad that you don't want to answer that kind of question. So whenever I try to be open and say, look, grandma, like I feel like I'm just missing something, not having dad around. And she'd be like, you don't talk like that. He was a horrible person. It's good that he's gone. And like every time I tried to just even express some sort of feeling or thought, it was always shut down. And I realized that really shut me down as an as a individual, as a person. I couldn't be open because I felt that being open was a problem. And I literally translated my relationship with my abuser to everybody in my life where I kept things in. I was never honest and open because I always feared that saying no was uh, going to result in some sort of punishment, some sort of attack, some sort of like, you know, because my grandmother really made me feel like a burden growing up you know she said i love you but at the same time she'd be like if, if you made her upset she would be like oh well you know i cook food for you and i take care of you i raised you you know and took a lot of credit away from my mother who really did try to give us a lot of love but unfortunately she never got us away from the abuse and she even gave more uh for lack of a better word ammo to my grandmother to abuse us with because she was just in survival mode herself protecting herself from the abuse which was even worse than I went through, which I can't imagine because mine was pretty bad. Uh, and I'll mention some of the specifics uh, in a little bit. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was difficult growing up in that house. And it, it just, I became a survivor in that situation. So it didn't seem difficult. It just was normal to me. And again, my wife pointed it out, not many other people saw it. So nobody really pointed it out. They definitely saw me when I was stressed and, and having just a difficult time expressing myself and, and surviving and feeling like I was down and upset a lot. Uh, but that's kind of the situation there. So uh, let's jump back to junior high when everything really became really bad. So like I said, I finally had friends my own age. So started going to my friends' houses. Again, my family being, I don't want to say it's necessarily controlling in this situation, but they're very particular. So they always had to meet my friend's parents if I went to a friend's house. Like their thing was we meet them. Uh, and that's, that was to everybody I socialized with or wanted to go hang out with or whatever. 
But when I spent time with these people, they all adored me because I was because I was so disciplined and abused growing up. I was very polite, but it's funny enough that it was to the extreme because whenever my friends, families would ask me to stay for dinner at their house, I would always say, well, I hope I'm not being a burden on you. And I very I played this very like timid like I didn't want to be a bother to anybody and they would actually get mad at me because they said you're like family you don't ever have to question you staying for dinner we love you we think you're great like they always said like I wish my kid was more like you and as polite as you and as nice as you and I'm like yeah but that probably means you didn't you know (laughs) abuse them probably in any way uh if they're not if they're able to express themselves where they make you upset sometimes as as human beings do to each other so yeah, like dealing with that was crazy and seeing their family environments really opened my eyes and I started going, wait a minute, these people don't sit at the dinner table and argue and fight and put put each other down and like it was just weird to be in that situation where I was so used to pretty much an entire life for, you know, what is it, maybe 12, 13 years of just seeing that and then going to somebody else's house and seeing that it wasn't like that. So when I brought that mentality home, it made my grandmother very upset because I say, you know, these people don't do this and these people don't say that to each other. And she gets super mad and, and you know, again, begin the abuse of putting me down, of, of talking about not comparing people, even though she constantly compared herself to everybody. And uh, in, in that time, even though the verbal abuse and mental abuse was continuing, she really started on a path of physical abuse with me because I, I started being very defiant towards her because Something in me knew the way she was treating me wasn't right. Um, And, you know, I ended up moving in with her before all this took place when, like I said, she treated me more like an adult. My mom babied me too much and I didn't like it because I liked being independent. So, you know, unfortunately, I made the big mistake of moving in and my mom didn't it didn't feel like she fought to to keep me or get me away from it either at the same time, um, which is a whole nother story. But um, back to my grandmother. So the physical abuse became very bad. Um, she would physically beat me and she loves finding random objects to, to hit you with. We were very little, me and my brother. It happened only once in a while. It didn't happen as frequent as it did when I was a teen, uh, teenager, I guess you could say. We were little. She'd get mad if we fought. My younger brother had, there's ADD, ADHD. Uh, he's very hyper, very energetic. And we fought a lot. We just didn't get along when we were very little. And, you know, what she would get mad and, and, you know, if it was a belt, if it was, you know, a a switch, as they say, you know, the old school say, you know, whatever she could find to to punish us with, she would. Like, she's thrown bricks and hammers and stuff. She was really mad. And we're like, you know, running around dodging this stuff. And uh, then when it finally came to that time in junior high, when I started defying her more and questioning her and the way she acted and our family acted, um, you know, yeah, she just physically started the abuse, hitting me more. Sometimes, you know, it'd be with the stick, sometimes it'd be with her hands, sometimes it'd be whatever. Um, it got so bad for, I want to say at least two years is when the physical abuse got very, very bad. And I learned how to cry on cue just so she would stop hitting me. And it kind of worked and it didn't because she's kind of twisted. <laughs> and by kind of twisted, she's completely psycho. Uh, <laughs> there's no really other way to put it, at least in my mind now that I faced it. So I would begin to cry. And it's almost like she knew I was exaggerating just to get that response from her so she would stop beating me. And then she would go fill up a bucket of water while I was sitting on my bed crying and say, I'll give you something to cry about. And then she dumped it over my head, all over the bed, all over the floor, everywhere, and then made me clean it up. And that went on for a few years. Uh, Finally, physical abuse wasn't as bad after a while, especially once I was more busy with school. I was in high school. uh, You know, I was in college. 
Um, it definitely helped to be away more often. But I mean, it was still there. There was multiple times where when she was just mad about something and I became even more defined as the years passed on. Obviously, I'm a growing man who wants to pursue his dreams and his goals and his ambitions. And I'm literally being told by my abuser that no, that, you know, well, how come you're not making tons of money? Well, what is this going to accomplish? You know, and constantly just putting me down for anything I wanted to do. Um, so it definitely made me lack some confidence in that area, but I never stopped pursuing it anyway. So yeah, there was a few times she actually, uh, you know, took knives to me and said, I'll kill you. You know, I black out and I'm angry and I'll kill you. And one time I, uh, when torn jeans became really popular, I was young when that became kind of a fad and, uh, I had a pair of torn jeans and I was going to some fa family friend event and she got so furious. I wore those jeans. She's all, you're not going to go like that. She grabbed a tiny bottle of bleach and was like, I'll pour bleach in your eyes if you don't change your clothes. I ended up, by that time I was older and I didn't care. So I ended up still going the way I was dressed. Everyone said I was nice. I still dressed very nice. Just had that particular style of, of jeans on. So that stuff, uh, one, one of the worst things that happened, and it happened three times. And this is what led me to leave, uh, like physically leave the situation finally. Once I started dating my wife. I guess as secure as my abuser acts like she is, uh, she's really insecure because my wife was very strong. Uh, she's very independent and didn't really care what, you know, my grandmother thought. But my grandmother despised and hated my girlfriend, now wife, for the longest time. She constantly put her down, constantly put me down. And it got to the point where I started collapsing when she would really verbally, mentally attack me just very harshly. And the first time I collapsed, like my right side got numb and I don't really remember much. I think I blacked out and I, I do remember her like kicking me and saying I was faking it. And uh, it happened two more times after that. The last time my girlfriend was there and we were in the driveway. We had just come back from, I think, some sort of social event and we changed clothes to go somewhere else. And she got furious. It is too late. No, 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 I don't like you going out, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, whatever. And she was just bar barraging me with insults and putting me down, and I collapsed. Everything, again, got black. I don't really remember. My wife said that she kicked me and said I was faking it again, so that's something apparently she did multiple times. And I, when I started to come to after I collapsed, and I saw her raise her hand at my wife. And that was the moment that I was like, look, I I've been living my whole life with this abuse. It's fine. Just you can, you can do that to me because I'm used to it, but you don't dare do that to anybody I care about. There's no reason for that. Um, and that's when I decided to leave and move out, which I did. Unfortunately, I did stay in contact with my family. They had a, they had such a manipulation over me that they made you feel guilty if you were somehow bad to people who fed you or did nice things to you, even though they continually did horrible things to you. So yeah, I realized years later when I was uh, when I had medical insurance because I didn't at those times, unfortunately, that I guess they were like panic attacks or anxiety attacks, um, you know, and just kind of yeah, my body couldn't take the abuse anymore, and I just collapsed, uh, and that's when I knew I needed to get out. Um, so it was it was definitely a difficult road to go through, but again, my biggest mistake was I didn't cut them off. There was so much guilt built into us about our family that I, I couldn't. So, you know, moving out was, it helped. I definitely got over a lot of the problems there. But uh, I think it was about three years I didn't talk to her, but she would call me messages on my answering machine. 
and I would listen and sometimes it made me cry because she would just say horrible things about me, you know, curse me with horrible things and all kinds of stuff and and it was it was just bad and then I'm trying to remember what happened. Oh yeah. So all that took place, obviously. Definitely not good. Uh, a lot of abuse, a lot of physical abuse. Uh, one incident that pops in my head around that time, she had grabbed um, a handle for like a mop and she was hitting me with it and she was mad and it looked like she was about to hit my face. So I put my forearm up the block so she wouldn't hit my face. She hit the forearm, my forearm with uh, the stick and it sprained her finger. And she had the audacity to say, look what you did to me. And like, I was like baffled as to why she would blame me for something she was doing so i mean just a lot of that and yeah the three years i cut them off good and bad because i still unfortunately listened to her messages still stayed in touch uh, a little bit and then my dad came into the picture so he left when i was two i mentioned that earlier 31 years later he his girlfriend found us because he she's technologically savvy uh he was significantly older about 20 years older than my mother so he's an older guy and doesn't know technology, but his girlfriend does. She found us through social media, and eventually we went to meet him. I was over kind of the manipulation my grandmother had put into me about my father, that he was this horrible man and the devil and all this stuff. I spent pretty much my childhood all the way to my teens hating this man, thinking if I ever saw him, I'm going to punch him in the face, like he's horrible and awful because of what I was told about him. And I remember a few bad things because he did have an alcohol and drug problem uh, when I was very little. So again, when I was a teenager, I just got over it. I figured, why hate this man? I'm wasting my own energy and time hating this man. And I need to live my life. He's not around. I don't need to worry about it. So just continued on with life. So finally, he wanted to meet and I was open to it. I asked my younger brother. He kind of followed, my younger brother followed my lead. So we both met him. We met him and it was, it was shocking. I had never had a family member, at least close to me, you know, someone biologically related like that had a hand in creating me that I met that was so understanding, so loving, so caring, so supportive. He was everything I had needed growing up. Instead, I got, you know, abused by my grandmother who likes to control everything. And then I met my father, who's the opposite, who's like life is magic and love. And, you know, it was just it was. It was shocking in a, a beautiful way that I now have this family member in my life who is supportive and loving, loves my wife, loves the decisions I've made with my life, loves that I'm a creative artist. My father is an artist. He's a musician who's toured the world uh, doing music. Um, he's an actor who I saw on TV and didn't realize it was my dad. And all a lot of the things that I do and my passions and pursuits, and I look like him to top it off. So talk about uh, an apple not falling far from the tree that was uh, refreshing uh, in, in the best of ways where I was raised to believe this man was the devil to find out the devil was telling me that this person was the devil. <laughs> At least that's what it felt like. And that's, that's kind of where it is. And then we move back again to the end of 2019. So I had quit my job in 2018. This was the beginning of my journey to, to becoming the person I'm being now. I needed to. I, I worked at Disneyland for 10 years. It is known as the happiest place on earth. But to be completely honest, and this isn't to degrade them completely, but as a corporation, they are a corporation. They don't treat their employees that well, and they don't pay us that well. And it was another form of abuse. Uh, it really was. And, I, and that's why I had to leave 10 years there trying to get my entertainment career started and getting nowhere. 
and being discouraged for displaying my talents and going above and beyond in my job really hurt me because I'm like, this is supposed to be the most creative place on earth. And you're telling me not to do impressions and voices when guests are saying, oh, you made my kids have such a great day. Like they all, oh, you, you made the time pass. We we're waiting in line, but you were so funny that, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then you have managers coming and saying, oh, you can't do that and this and that. And it's just like, wow, you know, way to ruin the day, not just for me, but for everybody. So again, another discouraging environment that I'm in. So I finally quit. The day I decided to quit and I put it in my two week notice, you know, properly because I'm a good old boy. I was abused to not ruffle feathers and I, it was it worked pretty well until now. Yeah, I turned in my two week notice uh, the day I decided to leave and chose my final date. Two days later, I got a call and it was for the movie Ford versus Ferrari. I ended up getting a small part in that movie and it really began a chain of events that made me go after my dreams and uh, I started really pursuing it spending more time away from my abuser, which I still was in contact with. So I cut them off for three years because of what happened, my collapsing and, and the abuse. And then because my father came back in the picture, he mentioned some things that I could not corroborate and I was not alive or old enough to remember or know. So just to be fair and unbiased, I wanted to talk to my mom and my grandmother and hear their side of the story so I can come to a conclusion of what actually happened. So that did bring me back into their lives, but I also set up stipulations for them. I said, if you want me here, you're going to accept me for who I am and what I do, because in the end, I've proven I don't need you or your money or what you try to offer to keep me here. I live my own life. I'm an adult. I'm on my own. And that's what it's going to be. And that's it. They, you know, reluctantly agreed to it, but it still continued. My grandmother still brought up things from the past and always started fights and always wanted to do that with everybody. So eventually, my brother started dating this girl, and that's that's the catalyst event. That's what changed everything. And she was just blunt. I had just uh, I took a program called the Landmark Forum. Um, it's kind of like an enlightenment almost type of thing, but it really makes you look at yourself and realize things that are holding you back. That was a pivotal moment in this whole transition I'm I'm going through because it really made me look at myself. But I had a lot of layers that covered up the abuse I went through. So getting through that was difficult, but the catalyst again was my brother's girlfriend. Again, very blunt woman. She said it straight and direct. She said the way your family is, they're not just abusive, they're incestuous with the way the relationship they have with you. Not in any sexual way, but almost emotionally and almost like you're a partner and that any person who comes in romantically into our lives is going to somehow destroy the family or the relationship. And that that hit home because she used very powerful language that it was easy to see at that moment in time what was going on. And that really changed everything for me. And my brother cut them off. And that's when I got to see my mother's true color. She was never really like abusive or bad, but she definitely was an enabler. She allowed the abuse to happen and let things go as far as they went and even gave plenty of ammo to our abuser to use against us even more. So I always felt betrayed by my mother most of my life. And I know why now, because I can see it for what it is. So when my brother left, they created this horrible lie that he had stole eight grand from an account that my brother had jointly with my mom because she's disabled and he was taking care of her for many years before he left. And the way my mother acted, I really saw her true colors. You know, she always played the victim. You always felt pity on her because she was abused even worse than we were. And at that moment, I was like, wait, you've made a choice. And 
I'm not accepting this anymore. You're you're a bad mother because I, I I sat them down the last day I saw them before I really cut them off, you know, and I left with peace and love. I told them I wish you love, happiness and everything wonderful in life. But in order for me and my brother to have that, you need to let us go. And if you don't, then you don't truly love us because you don't know what we need. I sat my mom down and my grandmother. I was talking with them. I was trying to protect my brother from the savage lies they were telling about him and what he did because he is he is disgustingly honest. He will tell you exactly what he's doing. So there's no way he would pull off something like stealing the large amount of money they claimed he did. So that's a whole nother thing. Uh, but I looked at my mom straight in the eyes and I said, this woman multiple th times threatened to kill me with a knife to me. Are you okay with that? She paused, looked at my grandmother first and hesitantly said, N no. And at that moment I was like, that should not be a question. You should not even have to pause for that kind of incident. I'm like, sorry, I'm going to be real. You're a bad mother for that. Like, that's just me being honest. But again, I tried to leave with peace besides that bad interaction. I really said peace and love and happiness to you guys. I really wish you the best. But for me to have the best, I need to leave. I need to go on my own and live my life and get away from this because it's not good for me or my brother. So let it be. And uh, I've been moving ever since. I did Ford versus Ferrari. After that, just having that on my resume and really pursuing my dreams on my own and, and believing in myself because uh, a lot of it, too, the abuse made me. I said I had a survivor's level of like facade, a shield up almost to protect myself. So everybody thought of me as a confident guy, a good looking guy, a guy who who's talented. But I didn't see myself that way because of the abuse. My grandmother put me down so much and was so negative. I didn't believe in myself truly. Like I knew what I wanted and I always pursued it, but I never could believe in myself. It wasn't even until recently I could look in the mirror and not feel like a disgusting person. And uh, and it's because of what she always said about me and you know all the stuff she did too. So um, it really has been a profound moment for me to really realize what I went through, accepting it for what it is, accepting that the reality is I will never, ever get a real answer as to why. I, I truly don't understand how you could do that to somebody, but I also have to come to terms with she was not open. And there's no way I'll ever truly know why. More than likely, like in most of these scenarios, it happened to her. That's what she knew. So she repeated the cycle that continued with her abuse of us. And what I'm looking at now is I and my younger brother left that and we broke the cycle finally. And we're not going to treat people that way. We're going to, you know, share love with people, especially our family members and people that we care about and uh, do the things we love. That's really important. My grandmother made such a big deal about having money and having a career and doing certain things a certain way. But I'm an artist. I'm a creative. That's not how I do things. I mull around, I think, I ponder, I analyze, I create, and that takes time. And I, I'm so happy with life right now, not just because I cut off my abusers, which is profound and significant, but the fact that I'm pursuing my dreams, there's not a lot of money in it, when sometimes there is, to be honest, like I, I made a good amount of money on Ford versus Ferrari, um, but other times there's not, but the level of satisfaction, joy, happiness, it doesn't come with a paycheck. It really doesn't. And I've never been this happy, this inspired, and this cared for in my life. And it's because of who I decided to cut out and surround myself with. And, and that is my story of adversity and abuse that really is amazing. I actually overcame in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm still working through some of it, but overall, 
I overcame being told I was worthless pretty much my whole life and turning it into something that makes me happy. I write jokes about it. I write music about it. You know, I, I express myself through acting and uh, those are the things that are helping me heal and bring me peace. And that's my story. Did you seek any professional help? Have you gotten any counseling or anything like that? Or have you come to these realizations all on your own? Um, luckily, I've come to these realizations with the help of a few people in my life, but mostly on my own. Uh, like I said, my brother's girlfriend was a profound and the catalyst for this whole thing, for being so blunt. So she really let allowed me to see it for what it was. My brother started taking therapy and I want to, but unfortunately with the whole COVID thing, I had just got, finally got Medi-Cal and, uh, you know, I wanted to, to get therapy, but because of the lockdowns and the restrictions, just, uh, I'm living with my in-laws. I don't have the perfect situation right now to do it, but I, I hope eventually to maybe break through more walls, um, with the help of a therapist or something like that in the future as well. Well, if you ever decide to write, that sounds like a good book. I mean, you've got so much material there. I know it's horrible, but you overcome it. And that's, you know, so it looks like you've got a happy ending. Uh, would you say that's true? Yes, I definitely would. I definitely would say it's true. Um, you know, uh, I'd say, too, to add to it, something I didn't mention in the story, is uh, I went through some severe bouts of depression and suicidal thoughts when during the heights of the abuse. And uh, the level of happiness I'm at right now and, and getting over that, I mean, I don't. I honestly think I can never go through depression again because of overcoming what this was and facing what it really is. So yeah, I definitely would say 100% it's a happy ending, and I'm creating the story. It's not even over yet, you know. It's it's a happy life right now, and hopefully I'm gonna get to even a happy an even happier ending from it. Hello, this is Michael Spedden, host of Foul Players Radio. Remember, just because we spell it F-O-W-L doesn't mean it's for the birds. As a matter of fact, every episode features interesting people with fun, fascinating stories about their journeys in the performing arts. Actors, authors, comedians, dancers, musicians, singers, you name it. We are a proud member of the SJ Network. Subscribe to us for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Castro, CastBox. You can find us at HTTPS, FoulPlayersRadio.Buzzsprout.com. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at F-O-W-L underscore radio. That's at Foul underscore radio. Give us a listen and give us a five-star review. Thanks a lot, folks. Well, let's talk a little bit about your artistic career. Now, you're an actor, you're a comedian, you have a paranormal society, uh, and uh, a musician. Uh, what started first, and what are you most passionate about right now? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, because to be honest, I'm a passionate man in general, and I'm passionate about all those things. And I've always said it, and I haven't faltered in my entire life so far. Even with everything I've been through, I love and want to do all of these things, and I'm passionate about all. That being said, I do switch my focus when certain things just gain or need more attention. So like right now, because of the quarantine, uh, certain things are obviously more limited. So I focused a lot more on my music. 
I'm writing an entire rap album about the paranormal. Uh, pretty much, I've written a majority of it, arranged most of the music, um, but I'm still working through the through the album and getting it ready, uh, you know, to release it hopefully soon. Um, so that's one of my main focuses right now, uh, just because I have the time to do it. Luckily, it requires solitude, and for me, that's a good place to be and work on that kind of art. I'm also making a lot of contacts during this uh, during this quarantine through friends and different people I know because I do so much. Uh, I just got in contact with a booker in Florida who's also a casting director. And whenever the uh, restrictions are lifted, I'm going to be flown out to Florida to do some stand-up comedy. It's kind of an audition, but it's also a paid gig. And if that goes well, I'm going to be going on tour doing stand-up comedy uh, with that booker and company. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely a lot in the future that uh, I'm, I'm passionate about that's going to happen. But definitely focusing right now a lot on the music and a lot on the comedy. Because those, those are the two things I think that are most prominent and accessible at the moment. Uh, but I do have films that have been postponed that I was casted in. So I'm looking forward to shooting more acting jobs as well once the quarantine is lifted. So Was uh, Ford versus Ferrari your first film or had you been involved in anything else besides that? Um, I've done a lot of little stuff. My biggest, I guess, claim to fame, you could say, well, two, uh, before Ford versus Ferrari, um, I did a Salvation Army commercial as an abusive husband in early, maybe 2004, I want to say. So that was kind of a big role for me. And then in 2014, um, I was on the premiere episode of Haunted History on History Channel and the Manson murders. And I played just myself. I was a, a paranormal expert talking about, uh, you know, Charles Manson and, and the locations that he stayed at and why they were haunted. So that one was very popular. To this day, people still contact me when they see that episode of Haunted History and say, hey, I saw you on that Manson show. That was cool. So uh, that definitely was a big one for me. But yeah, my most recent one and the biggest one was definitely Ford versus Ferrari. I've done extra work and little things, but this one was much more featured. Um, I did a scene with John Bernthal uh, in the uh, Ferrari factory in the movie. Um, and then I was one of the main Ferrari guys throughout the um, Le Mans race. Uh, and there was uh, five guys who we all fluently spoke Italian. So we were chosen as and nicknamed the Ferrari boys by uh, the assistant directors and James Mangold. So we were called upon to do a lot. I shot for two months on that movie. And as an actor, especially a young one who maybe lacked a little confidence because of what I had, what I had been through. It really reinvigorated my love for acting because I kind of took a little hiatus from acting, was working more on music and comedy. And then when I got that role, it just, I was like, this is what I want to do. If James Mangold can direct me and tell me I did a good job, then I need to like really pursue acting more. And it, I got a bunch of more gigs. Uh, I did, I worked at Queen Mary's Dark Harbor as a monster that's out here in Southern California. It's a Halloween event. And uh, they called me back. Uh, I had to that year. I had to work on Ford versus Ferrari, so I only could work weekends. But they loved my audition so much. They said, "Just work weekends. We're fine with that." Um, and then the next year, before the event started, which was 2019, they called me up, and I did all their commercials, their marketing, their photo shoots. I was even on merchandise. Uh, so to come from being abused and not believing in myself to quitting my job and going after my dreams. Uh, literally, quick story. I was on YouTube. They didn't tell me the commercial had released. I was watching a video. Commercial popped up and I saw my face and I heard my voice and I teared up because I was like, wow, I did it. Like through all the odds, through people doubting me, through me doubting myself, like, man, I've broken a lot of ground and I did this. So it, it's definitely been a, a ride and a, a great journey that I'm very, again, happy with in my life right now. So there is a there is a sunlight at the end of the darkness. <laughs> Well, tell us a little bit about your paranormal experience. Uh, have you have you been doing that for a while? And what kind of uh, 
you know, things have happened to you with uh, the paranormal. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've been doing it for a very long time. Uh, again, uh, very young. I have to start from the beginning where my interest started. So a quick story about when I was about two years old, stayed at my grandmother's house. This was every once in a while, so it wasn't an un- uncommon thing. Uh, but I stayed in a room that my grandfather passed away in. He passed away when I was three months old. In the wee morning hours, I woke up and he was sitting in front of the bed trying to talk to me. I couldn't. It was mumbly. I couldn't really understand. And I freaked out because I didn't know what was happening. Ran to my grandmother, told her what had happened. She said, oh, it's just a bad dream. Like, don't worry about it. And my family downplayed it. And for years after that, I actually ex- experienced a lot of things and saw a lot of spiritual stuff. And I figured if my family didn't believe me, I can't tell anybody else because they won't believe me. About eight years later, they sat me down and they said, look, we've all seen paranormal stuff. Our family seems to be sensitive to this. And that really, really got me invigorated and sparked my interest. I started finding all the books, have my parents buy all the books they could buy on the paranormal, uh, whether it be ghosts, UFOs, all kinds of creepy stuff. And I really started searching because I always found that either people had experienced it and were believers or had not experienced it and are non-believers. And that's my biggest question. I've come up with some theories for that over the years, but but that's that's really what I think generated my interest and my passion for investigating this stuff. Long story short, met my best friend in high school. We started investigating together because he had an interest. And when I went to college, I studied psychology and parapsychology. I actually have my PhD in parapsychology. Uh, funny story, I love Ghostbusters. My mom saw it when she was ready to pop with me in theaters, and I think I was born like a week later. So I joked that from the womb I was a Ghostbusters fan. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I always wanted to have a PhD in parapsychology like Peter Venkman, you know, Bill Murray's character. And luckily I did grow up to make one of my childhood dreams come true and become a real-life Ghostbuster. So my best friend in high school and I, we started the nonprofit, you know, we started our beginnings there and just built it as we were going to college. We had a few people in the field mentor us. One of my best mentors, Bonnie Vent, she's a clairvoyant in San Diego, California, really took us under her wing, brought us into cases, taught us techniques, um, and was just a great, you know, person and mentor that brought us in. And we just built more off of that, bought equipment. Uh, We used the scientific method as well as the spiritual side of things, which is my brother is a medium. Um, And we use our senses and our abilities. I consider myself more of an empath. But I have a little bit of all my family's abilities. So like my mom reads tarot cards. That's kind of her skill. My grandmother's good at reading people. And there was even crazy enough, whether you want to believe it or not, my grandmother actually abused us spiritually too. She had that kind of power, which we had to realize later on too, which was pretty crazy. Because um, we all have different abilities. My brother's more of the medium on the spiritual side of things where they communicate with him. And then I kind of have a mix of everything, like good at reading people. I can sense when stuff's around. Um, So, yeah, we've done lots of things over the years, been around for about 20 years now. And, uh, yeah, some of the most intense cases I've had, um, I had a case in San Diego, California with our mentor early on where we investigated this uh, old Victorian mansion that was turned into a business building. And I had what people in the field were referred to as an out-of-body experience. And I never experienced anything like this before. We finished investigating the house. To preface the story a little bit, uh, it was the summer of 2005. I was working a grave shift job uh, since I wasn't going to college for the summer. And uh, I was shooting my best friend's uh, films because he went to the L.A. film school and I was acting in all of his films. So I was on set shooting during the day, working late at night. I had a couple of days off after that. So from my grave shift job, went straight to San Diego for the case. We spent the whole day out there investigating a few properties and then this final case. So into the investigation a little later in the evening. We go into the office of the person who called us in to investigate. 
had a very comfy couch. I knocked out, fell asleep because I was really tired of like almost, I think maybe two days straight of no sleep at all. And I woke up to the house looking very different. And I see a man and a woman with a knife struggling and fighting. And there's two children present as well. Now, the story goes that uh, the mistress of the man of the house was angry at him because he didn't want to leave his wife for her. So she grabbed the knife and tried to attack him. He was able to get the knife from her and kill her. And in the, in the scuffle, the little boy, who was about, I think, seven years old, was standing by the stairs. And they bumped him, and he fell off the stairs, snapped his neck, and died. So I'm watching this scene unfold. And as the boy begins to fall, I was transported into his body, and I'm falling. And within a moment, it like his neck snapped, and it was done. And I, like, jolted back into my body. It was one of the worst feelings I've ever had. It was like somebody took a gun to the top of my head and shot a bullet through my entire body. My friend, my best friend was on the couch next to me. He saw me jump up and I couldn't talk or breathe for maybe a good five, ten seconds. Finally, I got my breath back and he's like, are you okay, man? I was like, you look like you were sleeping, but like you weren't moving. It was kind of weird. And I was like, I need to get out of this house. I had like a really bad experience. So we start going downstairs. He collapses on the stairs and begins sobbing. And he said he feels like this woman's sadness that, you know, she lost everything, not just her life, but, you know, the man she wanted and all this other stuff. And I walked out because I needed to get out of the house after that experience. Then he finally came out after. And we just started talking about exactly what happened. And uh, I almost wanted to quit investigating the paranormal. And this, this is just the beginning of it. I had just started around that time to really, really go out and do this stuff. And uh, also, I think part of it was just the lack of sleep and, and being tired, too. Um, I finally got a few days of rest. And at the end of all that, there was actually a beautiful message from the little boy's spirit. And it was, he lost his life so young that I should live my life to the fullest and do everything I want to do with my life because he didn't get that chance. So I didn't quit doing the paranormal because of what I felt after the whole experience. And I continued going on. So that was one of the more intense experiences that I'll never forget. It left a big impression on me. And uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the most intense ones I've gone through. Do you film your experiences, like maybe uh, short films or uh, TV shows, something like that? Um, so we've, when we were in college, we had a few guys, because I studied radio, TV, and film as well, obviously with my entertainment background. Um, so we had a few guys film some of our cases, and we made little documentaries and stuff. Um, I actually ran and produced a, uh, a web series on YouTube for two years called The Real Paranormal Detectives. So we have tons of content. We went back to um, Spawn Ranch, where Charles Manson stayed at. Um, so yeah, we, we have literally tons of hours of footage of our investigations uh, on our YouTube channel, and it's called The Real Paranormal Detectives. So Yeah, you, you sent me all your social media, so I'm going to put all that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you'd like to see more about his paranormal experience, his acting experience, and so forth, go ahead and go to the show notes, and there will be links to guide you. So, uh, well, it sounds like we've had a really good conversation, I think. Uh, we've talked for 46 minutes. Um, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to bring up? Uh, not really. I think we've touched on the basic stuff. I mean, uh, I think overall, uh, most people can tell I'm very passionate about everything I do, and that's that's music, that's comedy, that's acting, that's the paranormal. That's I'm a DJ as well. I DJ weddings and other events. I, I really enjoy doing that, too. Uh, it's just really fun. Um, I do impressions as well, so lots of voices, uh, celebrities, cartoons, things like that. 
So yeah, I kind of wear all those hats. So just to kind of touch on a few other things that I do, uh, but I'm passionate about all of it. Uh, it's very uh, healing to me, I think, with all I've been through. That's That was one of my coping mechanisms was expressing myself through these art forms because I didn't get that chance in my environment. So I think that's the key takeaway here.